The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2017 New Year's Conference. More information about New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. All right, we're going to get started. My name is Zach Simmons. Um, I'm on staff with... I'm, uh, I'm on staff with Campus Outreach at the University of Minnesota. I've been on staff there for a couple of years. I'm married to Justine. You guys probably haven't seen her around yet, but um, we have two little kids, and... Um, that's 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 me. I actually I'm really thankful Paul uh, Paul Potit's sitting in the back right now. Really thankful he gave me a shout out during his talk. So I ended up spending the next hour totally changing my talk to fit what he said it was about. So no um so this talk um, it, the title of the tops millennials are greater than every other generation and uh, I think all of us have experienced that you feel distractions but um, you want something more so. Um, we're going to first talk about your phone. So, uh, why don't you guys all pull out your phones? And, uh, and now why don't you put it away to where you're not going to see it at all the entire time that you're in here, okay? If you take notes on your phone, then too bad. Use a pen or borrow your friend's pen or pencil. Um... It is an, it's an amazing thing, though. We live in an age where you can do just about anything. And your guys' generation, our generation, we really haven't experienced anything other than having unlimited technology. Um, I mean, think about what you can do on your phone. You can, if you were hungry right now, what, who would you call? Jimmy John's, Papa John's. I know Papa John's is a deal right now because the Bucks won, it's 50% off. Um, if you wanted to leave the conference, go back home, but no one was willing to give you a ride, probably an order an Uber, right? Be really expensive, but you can order an Uber. Um, if you wanted to go to the T-Wolves game that was last night over the stadium, you could have bought, bought a ticket on your phone. Um, if you wanted to get on a plane, you could get a plane and get an Uber to get you to the plane. If you wanted to work on homework, you could probably go online and buy a book, have it shipped to you, and then you'd be able to work. I mean, it's just amazing. But on your phone, it's just unlimited amount of things that you can do. Um, but I think all of you guys have experienced It's also a continual distraction. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but... Have you ever been working on homework, and then you look at your phone to check something, even for your homework, and like 30 minutes later, you're not doing your homework at all, and you're like, what, what am I doing? And then you like don't even remember, why did I get on my phone in the first place? And then you have to go back, and then you're like, oh, wait, no, that's why I came on my phone. Um, it's, it's a constant distraction. But I would say that I don't think it's just a distraction, and um, I think the fact that it's a distraction, I think, is indicative of bigger things. So um, Tony Ranke wrote a book. Uh, he's a blogger and he's an author um, about technology. He wrote a book um, titled 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. And um, in it, he lists a lot of ways that um, our phone is changing us. So I don't think that um, phones only distract us from what we want to do. I think phones actually change what you actually want to do. So, um, for example, um, he would say, one, we are addicted to distraction. On average, we check our phones every four minutes throughout the day. Every four minutes, that's on average, we check our phones throughout the day. This makes us ever less present to reality, and it makes us begin to ignore our flesh and blood, even being willing to text and drive. Did you guys know that you're 27 times more likely to get into a car crash if you text and drive? Do you guys know that? Did anybody know? Did anybody know that texting is not safe when you're driving? How many of you guys have texted while driving? Yeah. 
Um, I, we were driving, my wife and I were driving through a snowstorm yesterday, and I felt, I felt a text in my pocket, and I pulled my phone out. She said, what are you doing? So, um, it's true. Uh, our hearts are more engaged with what's on the screen on our phone rather than the people around us. That's, um, I don't know if you guys have experienced that. You're in a library. You have no idea anybody else around because um, you're looking at your phone. And it's ironic because our generation, more than any other generation before us, longs to have deeper relationships. You want to share your successes and your dreams with people, but you also really want to share your failures with people, and you want to share your insecurities. You, you want to be fully known. So it's ironic that we don't know the people around us because we're on our phone so much. Um, and so we can tend towards loneliness um, because we fear risking a relationship in face-to-face interactions. Um, we also get comfortable in secret vices that we don't like, but we can't buck on our phone. Um, again, though we long to be known by others, we find ourselves finding things about ourselves we don't really like, which produces a sense of loathing about ourselves. We don't want to share those things. I mean, kind of what Sam was talking about this morning, to, to be fully known and fully accepted by someone else. Um, we crave immediate approval from others. And I think this plays out in several ways. You can incessantly update your Snapchat or your Instagram and watch to see who's looked at it, to see who's liked it. Um, you can send messages, or you may not be um, into just putting things on your story. You can send messages to a select few and constantly be looking, did they look at it? Did they look at it? Did they look at it? What are they going to respond with? Or you may not be really into social media at all, but you may like articles online. Um, I really like uh, football, so I tend to gravitate towards uh, NFL.com and specifically articles about the Vikings and when they say good things about the Vikings. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that, that may also be the way that you try and find approval from others. And I would say most importantly, this is the last one, um, we lose meaning because of our phones. Because when you get on your phone, everybody has a different idea of what real meaning is. So it's hard to decide who's actually right and who's wrong. And so it makes us cautious and hesitant to believe anything at all. Um, which I would say plays into our culture today, which would say, you do you. You, know, you do you and I'll, I'll do me. Because you, you have so many different ideas and opinions coming at you. And so, and we'll get, that, and we'll get into that more in a little bit. But, um, and I would say these issues go more, uh, both ways. So our phones change um, us and change what we want uh, to like. Um, but also, our own insecurities draw us deeper into our phones rather than into real relationships with other people. Um, Tony Ranke, one of the things he says in his book, he says, too often what my phone exposes in me is not the holy desires of what I know I should want, not even what I think I want, and especially not what I want you to think that I want. My phone screen divulges in razor-sharp pixels what my heart really wants. You think about that. I mean, things, things that you guys look at on your phone when no one else is around. This really gets to the idea of what uh, Muchi was saying this morning. Who you are in secret is who you really are. And in our day and age, we have a very tangible thing that shows us who we really are. When no one else is around, what do you want to look at on your phone? Um, uh, he continues, he says, uh, this means that whatever happens on my smartphone, especially under the guise of anonymity, is the true expose of my heart, reflected in full color pixels back into my eyes. So I would say um, it plays both ways. So who you are in secret is who you really are. And we've got phones that if someone were to take the chip out of your phone and show it to the world, 
you might be embarrassed <laughs> to, to show um, what, what you've looked at. Conversely, who you are publicly on your phone, on social media, whatever, I think is a public way to distract yourself from who you really are. Because I think there's a lot of things about yourself that you don't really like. It's true of me too. And on top of all of it, we are bored. We go to our phones because the world just doesn't seem that appealing to us, and so we're bored. We, we keep going back to it. My, um, so I have a two-and-a-half-year-old son, and uh, what Muji said, he said, I, this morning he's talking about his kids. He's like, you know, I get so excited about them growing up. I feel the same thing about, about William. When William was six months old, he started to turn pages on books by himself, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. It was kind of like, turn the page, and he was like, oh, man, it was, it was great. Um, so this, this happened just this last month. I was sitting at home with him. I had just gotten home from being off campus, and um, he was playing blocks with me, and all of a sudden I pulled my phone up and started looking at NFL articles because I wanted to see what the new power rankings were and where they would put the Vikings. And it was like I am sitting with literally my flesh and blood, my son, and I find myself bored by my son because I want to look at my phone. Um, so the problem's not merely distractions. Um, I think that, um, to put a big picture, I think it's also that we've bought into a defective story. And so um, distractions only reveal a defective narrative that we're buying into. And I would say to move past that, you need to do three things. One is you have to learn a different story. Two is you must embrace that different story. And three is you must adopt new habits and practices that align with that story. So it would be reductive for us just to talk about tips and tricks, not to use your phone as much or whatever. Um, really, I think there's things that are underlying the surface that are really going on that, that draw us to our phones and draw us to distractions more and get us away from doing the things that we want to do, or at least the things that we want to want to do. So let's talk about that. So the first thing is we must learn a different story. Um, oh, my gosh, that's not what I want. Okay, um, the question we need to answer is what will give my life meaning? We're, we're starting really, really low. Um, what will give my life meaning? And um, our culture would say that meaning is found within ourselves. Right? Does that resonate? Our culture would say, you know, listen to your heart, you do you, um, do what are, is your greatest desire. That's what's going to be fulfilling for you. And uh, Christians buy into this too. I would say that that's, that's not what the Bible teaches, but Christians buy into this too. Um, and the reason we believe this uh, is because our culture is disenchanted. So what I mean by that is it's not magical anymore. People don't assume that supernatural things happen. People believe that everything can be understood. Um, a, a philosopher named Charles Taylor um, put it this way. He said that um, there's two uh, parts to an enchanted world. And really it happened um, before the Enlightenment. So like four or five hundred years ago. There's two parts to it. One is that people believed that spirits actually existed. So beings that you couldn't see, spirits actually existed, like God and angels and demons, things like that, okay? We don't believe it. Our, our culture doesn't buy into that. Um, and secondly, everybody believed, everybody believed that the source of meaning was found within the cosmos. So there was a great chain of being. There's a hierarchy, and meaning was found in greater proportions as you went up in the chain. That's, that's not how we think about things today. And so if we were to contrast that with the way that we think about things, the first thing would be uh, we exist in a hierarchical cosmos that can, cannot be fully understood because there are greater powers at work. And our disenchanted narrative would say we exist in a universe that can be fully understood. We believe that everything that needs to be understood can be understood by us. 
Um, secondly, we are minor characters in the grand drama from being played out throughout the ages. So that's what people believed four and five hundred years ago. And then when we began advancing in science, we began to believe we are the main character in the story that we are writing ourselves. Um, third, uh, hold on. The story of the universe is about, being, about beings far greater than ourselves getting glory. So there are beings out there that deserve glory um, way beyond ourselves. Every culture believed that before our culture. Um, now it's the stories about who I am going to be and how I'm going to fulfill the natural desires and longings I feel in me. Um, fourth, we are dependent on external sources for our destiny. That's what they used to believe. We would say we are the masters of our own destiny. What we want to do that's what we can do. Um, and then finally, truth is beyond our own finite understanding. So there are things about truth that we can't understand because we aren't the center of truth. That's what, that's what they used to believe. And we would say, truth is what you make it. Does this resonate with you guys, our culture, the way that we, we think about things? Now, uh, you may be wondering how this, how this applies to phones. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, Christians buy into the same thing. So the Christian disenchanted narrative would be this thing's really cool, unless it doesn't work, and then it's really not cool. Okay, so the, the disenchanted Christian narrative would be this. Um, while the disenchanted narrative would say we exist in a universe that cannot be full, or that can be fully understood, the disenchanted Christian would say the pursuit of God is the pursuit of knowledge and expertise in the Christian life. So I'm going to attain what I want to attain in the Christian life because I'm, I can do it within, within myself. Um, and God is something that can be understood and mastered. Um, secondly, Disenchanted narrative would say we are the main character in the story we're writing ourselves. The disenchanted Christian would say the greatest truth in the Bible is that Jesus loves me. And the focus on our relationship is that he loves me. It's about me. Um, it, it's tricky when you talk about these things. So um, I'll, I'll parse this out a little bit uh, later. But um, third, the story is about how I'm going to fulfill the natural desires and longings I feel in me. Third, Jesus is a means to my greatest good. What Sam was saying this morning, I thought that was such a great way to say it. Um, we can use Jesus as a means to what we would consider our greatest good, whether that be a relationship or an accomplishment, a job, a career path, whatever it may be. Um, we would use Jesus as a, as a means to that greatest good or um, a sense of belonging that, that we want. Fourth, we're the master of our destiny. Jesus' plans for my life coincide with the desires that I have. Um, and then fifth, this is what we make it. So if the Bible says something that doesn't feel right with me, then it probably means something different. And I think, I think this is really true. When we look at the Bible, if it doesn't feel right, we tend to trust our own uh, intuition rather than reorient ourselves uh, to the Bible. I, I think it's a, a really big, big issue. So the result of this disenchanted view um, is that our phones become a powerful tool um, to the end of just entertaining ourselves. Um, either to progress in the world because we think that we're the masters of our own destiny or because we're bored with everything and everyone else except for us because truth is what we make it and it's about us in our life um, or we're hiding from the world because we realize that this disenchanted narrative isn't really real but we don't want to deal with the world so we just become resigned to things and we're bored we're, we're, we're bored and we're distracted um, because of those things So, but we all know that life is more um, there's more to life than that. And everyone agrees with this, whether you're a Christian or you're an atheist. Um, Andrew Dobanko, who's a professor at Columbia University, said this. Um, the disenchanted narrative makes it seem like all our getting and spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. That's a pretty bleak view of life. Um, 
All, I'll say it again. So he would say that the disenchantment narrative makes it seem like all our getting and spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. No one likes to hear that because there's something inside of us that um, that grates against that idea. We we don't think that's true. We think there is something that's greater than ourselves. One of my favorite bands, Fleet Foxes. Anybody? Fleet Foxes? Anybody? It's like three of you. Great. Um, they, they have a line that's really good. So they say... I was raised up believing I was somehow unique, like a snowflake unique among snowflakes, unique in each way you can be. But now after some thinking, I'd say I'd rather be a functioning cog in some great machinery serving something beyond me. And I think that's so true. Everybody feels that. You've been told you were unique your entire life, but what you'd rather do is be a part of something that's greater than yourself. Um, So what would the Bible say about meaning? Um, Ed Welch would say it this way. Instead of a love cup or a hollow core of longings, the image is more accurately that of Moses literally reflecting the glory of God. So when we think of the disenchanted narrative, we would say we ourselves have these longings. We make truth. We're the masters of our destiny, and we need to fill ourselves up with what we want. And he would say that's, that's not how we should view it. We are reflections of something greater than ourselves. And so he'd say this means that the essence of the image of God in man is that we rejoice in God's presence love him above all else, and live for God's glory, not our own. The center of gravity in the universe is God and his glory holiness, not our longings. And the most basic question of human existence becomes, how can I bring glory to God? Not, how will I meet my longings? These differences yield very different tugs in our heart. One constantly pulls us outward toward God. The other first pulls us inward. And I I would say that um, this is where it's tricky when when you think about Jesus and the way that he's loved us, that that heals so many hurts and takes care of so many things. But what's the end goal in that? Is, it, is Jesus the means to what you would consider your greatest good, which is being forgiven and finally being able to um, be who you want to be? Or is it that you get God? That you get the greatest being in the entire universe? You get to be a part of a story that's far greater than yourself. So, um, uh, the Psalter would say this. If you guys... Um, if you guys have a Bible, you can go to Psalm 8, and um, Psalm 8, verse 3. I don't have it with me. Um, if you don't, that's fine. I'll, I'll just read it. Um, so the Psalter says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? So the Psalter is humbled when he looks at creation. He doesn't say, this is something that I can be mastered. And that I can master. He's, he's humbled by it. He says, why is it that you think about man when I look at all of creation? And he ends by saying, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So, um, so here's what the Christian enchanted narrative would be. God rightly should be the center of your universe because you are in a grand drama that's being played out through the ages and it's not about you. You were created to be a reflection, not a cup, a reflection of God. And in that, you will experience far more joy and peace and happiness than you could have ever experienced by you trying to fill yourself up with other things. So think about this again. Think, think on God for a second. Um, God has always existed. Just think about that. Like, he's never not existed. There's never, there was no beginning with God. What? And then, and then he created the world literally just by speaking. He said, let there be light. Can you do that? Can you speak and, and make things happen? 
no, I can't even tell my two-year-old to go to come to me. I mean, he constantly disobeys me. Um, but God said, let there be light. And immediately there was light. He created something out of nothing. There was literally nothing there. And he continually sustains it. So it says uh, in Hebrews 1, it says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Um, in Colossians 1, it says that Jesus sustains all things. Um, he's continually sustaining all things. So, so, so think about this. If he spoke creation into existence, he's continually speaking things into existence. If God were to stop thinking about you for a second, you would cease to exist. That's incredible. It is a mercy. This is so good what, what Mukshi said. It is a mercy that you're even alive today because God is actively speaking you into existence in this moment. It's incredible. God is, God is an incredible thing. So um, think about this. He sees you. Not only does he speak you into existence, but he knows you. Psalm 139.1 says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, and you discern my thoughts from afar. He knows everything about you. All those things that you think you do in secret, on your phone or by yourself, all of the things that you think in your head, he sees all of that. He delights in creation. Um, G.K. Chesterton uh, a guy who died a long time ago. He said, uh, because children have a bounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. This is so true. Uh, if William wants me to throw him in the air, there's about three times I can do that and then i got to be done. Uh, but William wants to keep going and going and going. Uh, so he says, but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. So God looks at the sun, and he says, do it again, because I delight in you. It's it's a a wonderful creation. Um, So God delights in his creation. Think about what God has done for sin. Um, He wanted us. We didn't want him. We rejected him. And God said, I will do anything possible to get my people back. Even if that means not counting equality with God, becoming a man, and, and living a life that, that is hard. At the end of my life, being beaten and mocked. And, and Jesus' response in that moment, when he was being beaten and mocked, was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's no one who's deserved more glory and honor than the king of the universe. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That... What immense love that is. Um, think about what he's done in suffering and pain. And I think phones are another way that we try. We try and get away from suffering and pain. Um, distract ourselves. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the book of Job, but Job, uh, God allows Job to go through a lot of suffering, and he loses everything. He loses his daughters and um, his sons and all of his livestock. And Back in that day, livestock was a big deal. Um, and Uh, at the end of the book he has a conversation with God and basically the whole book was Job saying why is this happening to me I haven't been a bad person I've been righteous why is this happening and the amazing thing is that God doesn't actually answer his question Um, and I love what Mike Cosper says about this he says God doesn't respond to Job's misery with explanations or dismissive comments instead he calls Job's attention to the confusing wonder of the world we live in He leads Job from the mystery of his suffering to the mysteries of creation, from puzzle to puzzle, from wonder to wonder. And as Chesterton puts it, the secret of God is a bright and not a sad one. In the skipping of mountain goats, the thunder of snow, and the crashing of oceans, there's a wink and a smile, a God who is joyful and even playful in the midst of the madness. 
While we may not be able to comprehend it, there is at least to God sensibility and an order. The universe is a cosmos, after all, and the Chesterton tells us its maker has a smile and a sense of humor, even as he reminds us of our smallness in its midst. He calls our attention from the midst of sorrows to the broader world where sorrows are one mystery among many. And if you're a Christian, he will be with you through it all, through all the suffering that you experience. Matthew 28, he says that. He says, I will be with you until the end of the age. He promises that he will be with you. It's an amazing thing. The God of the universe wants to be with us. Who are we that he's mindful of us? Um, so God's telling us that the world's far greater than ourselves. And with phones, we tend to uh, try and distract ourselves or use them for personal gain um, or try and get away from hurts that we've experienced and try and feel less pain. Or we feel ashamed and we bury ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper into a hole where we're not really talking to anybody else about it. Um, and the biblical narrative would be, you, you need to move away from distractions into the actual world and engage with people, actually be present with other people and engage with what's actually going on in the world, with creation and all the things that are happening, the good and the bad. Um, Cosper says again, this, so this is from um, a book called Recapturing the Wonder. He says, encounters with beauty, whether they're in an art gallery, a book, a song, or in the wild, command our attention. They invite us to put away our distractions and our busy thoughts and to be present. We often find it difficult to make room for these things, and I think that in part it's because they are demanding. We cannot help but be evoked, whether that's towards bliss, sadness, or even rage. I think that's a reality that we've got to face. When you deal with life, there's not going to be daisies and roses. It's, it's going to be hard, but it's still worth dealing with because life isn't about you, and it's not about your phone. Um, you were created for something far greater. So... Um, that's what I would say the, uh, the right narrative, the biblical narrative would be. But I think there's still a problem. I think um, we don't embrace um, that story, even if we know that story. Um, we have a hard time embracing that story. So um, what's keeping us from embracing that story? I would say there's a few things. Um, and then um, we're going to watch a clip that I think emulates this really well. So um, if we are going to embrace that story, that the world's not about us, the world's about something greater... We have to lose control of our lives, which is really, really hard. You're not in control anymore. We have to be willing to be honest about our shame and the things that we feel. Those things have to come to light. Um, we're not in control of our dreams and our aspirations anymore. We have to lose those things as well. So um, have you guys seen Doctor Strange? Anybody? Marvel movie? Okay, so Doctor Strange... Um, movie about a guy who was a very, um, he was the most successful neurosurgeon uh, in the world, and um, he broke his hand so he could no longer do surgery. So he seeks out this kung fu master because apparently, he found out by another guy that um, she healed him, and so he's thinking maybe she can heal me as well. And in the process, he gets caught up into a bigger story. So, um, let's see. Hmm. Skipped past it. We're starting to show it in the past. Did it? Yeah. Back up one. Right there. Huh? All right. Hold on. She all saw this. <laughs> you can't see that. <laughs> um. <laughs> Don't mind me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
I don't think there should be any trouble. All right, let's try it. <laughs> that is a bummer. All right, well, um, I will, oh, okay. this is just falling apart here. Um, All right, well, I will just read you the transcript from it instead. So, um, he's with uh, this Kung Fu master, her name's the Ancient One, um, right before she dies. And um, here's how it goes. So, she says to him, you wonder what I see in your future? He says, no. Yes. And she says, I never saw your future, only its possibilities. You have such a capacity for goodness. You always excelled, but not because you crave success, but because of your fear of failure. And he says, well, that's what made me a great doctor. She said, it's precisely what kept you from greatness. Arrogance and fear still keep you from learning the simplest and most significant lesson of all. And he says, which is? It's not about you. When you first came to me, you asked me how I was able to heal Jonathan Pangborn. I didn't. He channels dimensional energy directly into his own body by himself. And then he says, he uses magic to walk constantly. He had a choice to return to his own life or to serve something greater than himself. And he chose to return to his own life. So I could have my hands back, my old life again? You could. And the world would be all the lesser for it. And if you've watched the movie, you really do feel that. You, you feel, if you were to walk away at that moment, the audience would have booed and been like, that is a terrible movie. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, again, like a 20%, if that was the case. Because um, he's wrapped up into something far greater than himself. And you see, as the audience, you see a bigger story going on. And so we've already seen the biblical narrative. The biblical, narr the biblical narrative is not about us, it's about God. So you see the bigger story, and it would be a travesty if he walked away from that and went to his own life where he was a neurosurgeon, even as successful of a neurosurgeon as he was. Um, now, a couple more notes on this. So she says, arrogance and fear still keep you from learning the most simplest of lessons, which is, it's not about you. I think this is so insightful for a movie that's not a Christian movie. So arrogance keeps us from thinking beyond ourselves and assuming that everything is about ourselves. Uh, if you're taking notes, write this down. Philippians 2, 4. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Um, it's not about you. And fear keeps us from thinking beyond ourselves because we don't trust anything beyond ourselves because we're afraid. We're afraid to trust something beyond ourselves. So um, I think that um, the reason which we don't is because we don't trust. And, and you could argue that trust um, is earned by, by understanding, but I wouldn't say that that's true. Um, I love The Lord of the Rings. And in The Lord of the Rings... Uh, Who's seen the whole Lord of the Rings? Great. Okay. Not a lot of work needs to be done. Um, so in Lord of the Rings, uh, Aragorn, who's the rightful king of basically the entire earth, for the first time meets the hobbits, the, the little people. And, but he looks pretty shady. And this is their interaction when they first meet. Frodo says to him, I think you're not really as you choose to look. You began to talk to me like one of the brief folk, one of the village idiots. But your voice has changed. Still, Sam seems right in this. I don't see why you should warn us uh, to take care and yet ask us to take you on trust. Why the disguise? Who are you? 
What do you really know about, about my business, and how do you know it? And then Aragorn responds, the lesson in caution has been well-learned, but caution is one thing and wavering is another. You will never get to Rivendell on your own, because they're trying to get to Rivendell. And to trust me is your only chance. You must make up your mind. I will answer some of your questions if that will help you to do so. But, and this is key, he says, why should you believe my story if you do not trust me already? And that's the thing, trust comes before understanding. You're not going to reason yourself into a decision um, on the meaning of life. Trust ultimately is not a reasonable thing. Tim Keller uh, makes this point powerfully. He says, all of us have things we believe, including things we would sacrifice and even die for that cannot be proven. We believe them on a combination of rational, experiential, and social grounds. But since these beliefs cannot be proved, does this mean that we ought not to hold them or that we can't know them to be true? We should therefore stop demanding the belief in God meet a standard of universally acknowledged proof and we don't apply that to the other commitments on which we base our lives. So, um, there, I mean, there's two people in this room. You would either say that you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. And I think this would apply to, to both of you. Um, those who would say you're not a Christian, you're never going to reason yourself into believing in God. And those who are a Christian, um, you might be deceived into believing that you trust God, but you're still really trusting yourself. For instance... I grew up as a pastor's kid, and when I got to college, I thought, I'm going to be the next Billy, do you guys know who Billy Graham is? I thought, I'm going to be the next Billy Graham. I thought it was a big deal. And um, about a semester into college, one of the guys told me that I wasn't a big deal, and um, it really rocked me. And I realized that I liked to use Jesus as a way to make myself look good. I wasn't really about Jesus. I was about myself. But I like to use him as a way to make myself look good. And so... If you're a Christian, you may think that you're trusting Christ in decisions that you're making um, and things that you do, but in reality, you still could be the one in control. And so I think it, it takes a lot of thought um, to think about that. But um, ultimately, I think it comes down to what are you going to trust in? Will you trust in yourself or trust in something outside of yourself? And in this case, the biblical narrative would say you are a finite being that's deceived easily. You could trust in that, or you could trust in a being outside of yourself that's infinitely better than you are and, and good. Um, again, from Lord of the Rings, I think this point's made powerfully. The Fellowship, the nine people who are walking around the earth, um, they run into a pack of wolves, and uh, Pippin says this, one of the well, not hobbits, he says, I wish I had taken Elrond's advice, which was to stay back. I'm no good after all. There's not enough of the breed of Bandabras the Borrower in me. This is... Uh, ancestor. These howls, the wolves, freeze my blood. I don't ever remember feeling so wretched. My heart's right down to my toes. Mr. Pippin said Sam. So Sam said that. But we aren't eaten yet, and there are some stout folk with us. Whatever may be in store for old Gandalf, I'll wager it isn't a wolf's belly. So Pippin, in a moment of fear, looks at himself and finds himself wanting, right? He doesn't have what it takes. Sam looks at Gandalf and says, that dude is stronger than a wolf, and that's who I'm going to trust in, because he's in, he's in uh, his company. Same thing um, with us. So trust, when it comes to, are we going to trust the biblical narrative as opposed to a disenchanted narrative? What are you willing to trust? So, all of that to say, how does that come back to our phones and the way in which we use our phones and the distractions that we have? Um... We're distracted by our phones because we haven't found this world amazing enough to pay attention to it. We're bored, or we're trying to get away. Why haven't we found it worth our attention? Because we believe that we are the center of the universe, 
and anything that doesn't ultimately lead back to ourselves is boring. I think it's so true. Just think about this. Uh, We are the center of our own universe, and we believe that things that don't ultimately lead back to ourselves are boring. So if you had nothing to do with it, would you be able to be in awe of it? So how can we trust in God, who is outside of our own understanding, um, only with reckless abandon? We're so used to believing that the world is about us, that we trust in ourselves more than anyone else. Um, So that's number two. Number three, we must adopt new habits and practices that align with the story. So, um, uh, I've got I've got two points here. So, um, let me get back to these notes. Sorry. All right, so um, I got, I've got two points under um, adopting new habits and practices. One is um, we need habits that point outward rather than inward. So it goes both ways, like we were talking in the beginning. With your phone, your phone distracts you from, what, from doing what you want to do, but your phone also changes what you want to do. In the same way, the things in which you're spending your time doing are going to change what you want to do. You are what you eat. Have you, heard, have you guys heard that phrase before? You are what you eat, so... Uh, one on the lips, forever on the hips. That's something that I live my life by. But um, just kidding. So um, we need habits that point outward rather than inward. So um, here are a few of them, if I can find the right notes. Um, we need to spend time with God without our phones. So if you're seriously wanting to be with God then get out of distractions. Don't allow distractions to be there. We need to pray. And I would suggest that you even memorize um, parts of the Bible. I mean, I would, I would suggest memorizing Romans 8. Um, I would say spend time with other people without your phones. Uh, Justine and I have been doing this lately. So when, we, when I get home from work, we put our phones away, and we keep it away until after dinner when the kids are in bed. So it's just us and our family. And it's been an amazing experience being able to hang out with, with our family without our phones. So we really need to do that. Just plug your phone off. Turn, turn it off and um, put it away. Um, and as Paul told you that I would tell you in this talk, um, we need to deal with life issues not on our phones. So if you are in a fight with somebody, if you feel hurt by somebody, you need to go talk with them face-to-face about it. Um, if you want to ask a girl on a date then you need to go ask her in person, not on your phone. Um, and uh, then lastly, I would spend time in creation without your phones. So go do things and, and don't have your phones. I, I just think um, it's, it's compelling to me that every four minutes we, we check our phones. Um, I'd be interested to see what it would be like for you guys to spend a day without your phone and how antsy you'd feel or how freed you feel. Um, so uh, Mike Cosper in his book, Recapturing the Wonder, says, to experience the richness of life in God's kingdom, we must reorder our lives. We need to see through the shallow promises of our culture, and we need rhythms, signposts, and practices that reorient us to another world. And so think, what are things that I can do that are going to push me outward rather than inward? On your phones, what are things that push you inward on your phone? What are websites that you go to that push you inward? How much on Instagram do you compare yourself to other people? Secondly, um, we need rigorous training. 
So G.K. Chesterton said the problem of Christianity is not that it had been tried and found wanting, but it had been found difficult and left untried. So it's hard to do that. It's hard to get away from your phone. And it's going to take a lot of work on your end to, to push yourself away from your phone um, and away from distractions to actually engage with life. And I would, I would just say a note here, that's not legalism. It's not legalism to work hard to do that. Legalism would say, I am trying to gain favor with God by doing whatever thing. I want God to be more pleased with me by doing whatever thing I'm going to do. This is saying, I have found God to be amazing. I'm in awe of him, and I want more of him. So I'm going to do whatever it means to get rid of that. Look up Philippians 3, um, uh, 11, yes, 11 through 14. Verse 12, um, he says, um, no, no, verse 11, he says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Um, so he, he, he says, I will do whatever it takes to get more of God. Not because I want to earn his favor, but because I already have his favor, and I'm in love with him, and I want more of him. So it will take a lot of work. Um, and finally, this doesn't mean that you don't use your phones anymore. Um, phones are not a bad thing. Um, I hope you see that the problem primarily fo- lies with us, not our phones. If, if I left my phone on this table, nothing would happen to it, <laughs> right? It's not going to, like, come after me and show me things. It's when I use it myself. And so um, that's why you need to be thinking, what narrative am I following in my life? Is it about me or is it about God? And if it's about God, then... How can I move outward rather than more inward? So, time is it. Great. So, um, I've got a few questions for you guys. So, it's only 4 and 12. Which are, they're 45 minutes, right? Paul? So, three minutes left. So, um, why don't you guys write these down? You can start talking in groups about it, and then you can leave um, whenever you want to. Uh, first question. What about how I view the world as disenchanted? So just think on that yourself. What about the world do you view as disenchanted? What about how I view the world as disenchanted? Secondly, what would I say my priorities are? This is kind of getting the same thing. Um, so verse uh, uh, number three is how do, do my stated priorities contrast with how I spend my time? So there's ways that I know that I follow a disenchanted narrative. There's ways that I don't, and two and three are trying to get at that. What are ways that, you know, what would you say your priorities are, and then how does your time actually align with that? And then fourth, what is one step I need to take in the direction of viewing the world in a more enchanted light? So just one step. Does anybody need me to re- repeat those? Can you repeat the third one? The third one? Yeah. How do my stated priorities contrast with how I spend my time? Mm-hmm. I'll just say them one more time. Um, just make sure you have them. So one was, how about, what about how I view the world as disenchanted? Two is, what would I say my priorities are? 
Three is how do my stated uh, how does my stated priorities contrast with how I spend my time, and four is what is one step I need to take in the direction of viewing the world in a more enchanted light. So you guys can, um, I mean, you guys can look at those yourself. Um, talk with somebody else about it around you that you came with, um, and you can you can leave whenever you want. We're done. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at newyearsconference.com.